Good morning. Uh, during this Easter season, we're looking at one of the most well-known passages in the New Testament known as the Great Commission, this mission statement for the church. And it's these marching orders that Jesus gives to his followers before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. And we began this series by looking at what is behind this commission. And we saw it is all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, therefore. Okay? So because Jesus now reigns as king over all creation, this is what people who choose to follow Jesus are to do, make disciples. But before we can look at, uh, before we can talk about making disciples, we have to understand what a disciple of Jesus is. So what is a disciple of Jesus? This is, this is one definition from uh, Greg Ogden. He says, a disciple is one who responds in faith and obedience to the gracious call to follow Jesus Christ. Being a disciple is a lifelong process of dying to self while allowing Jesus Christ to come alive in us. So a disciple of Jesus is a follower of Jesus, a person who uh, has received a call from Jesus to follow him and has responded to that call. And this commission that Jesus gives his disciples on the mountain in Galilee comes at the end of Matthew's gospel. So these 11 that have responded to this invitation by Jesus to follow, and they've spent three years hanging out with Jesus, learning from Jesus, and only now are they given instructions to go out and make disciples, which is important because they can't go out and make what they themselves are not. They can't replicate what they never have become. Like they can't lead people to places they haven't uh, been themselves. And if Jesus wanted to, to train his disciples to go out and to announce uh, um, this message to the world, he could have done it a lot faster than three years, right? If you think about it, Jesus could have saved himself a lot of work and frustration. He could have uh, uh, done it this way. He could have just written some things down, a, a plan of salvation, a prayer, and people could say he could have handed that out to the disciples who then made photocopies and had went to all the nations handing out tracts. Right? Would have been a lot easier for Jesus to do that. But he didn't do that, did he? Right? He didn't give them a track. He didn't give them a Roman's road. He gave them a three-year apprenticeship program. Right? Now, discipleship for sure involves a message. Jesus is Lord. Uh, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised from the dead. Essential that we get the message. But it doesn't stop with the message, the announcement, right? Jesus' instruction is to make disciples. And the way Jesus did that is he poured three years of his life into these disciples, and then he sent them out into mission, okay? Again, the instruction here is not to go out with a message, although that certainly is part of it, but also to go beyond that and make disciples, and the challenge you can, what, what can happen is that you can, get, you can get people to do things, profess their faith, get them to say a prayer, get them in church, and not make disciples of Jesus. And so we end up with, uh, with churches filled with undiscipled disciples. In his book, Renovation of the Heart, Dallas Willard shares a story from a pastor who challenged his congregation to become disciples. And after the service, a woman came up to him and said, you know, I just want to be a Christian. 
I don't want to be a disciple. I like my life the way it is. I believe Jesus died for my sins, and I will be with him when I die. Why do I have to be a disciple? See, there's an understanding in our churches that we can be Christians and not be disciples of Jesus. Why is that? Well, for one, I think, like this woman, I think if some of us are honest, um, we're maybe just not sure they want to be a disciple. If we really understand what being a disciple of Jesus is, if we re- realize what it will, that it will require us to reorganize our whole life around Jesus, that may not be what we want. Right? Maybe we like our lives the way they are. It sounds easier to be a Christian and not be a disciple. But I don't think it's just that. I think the church has for a long time struggled to do a proper job of teaching on discipleship. In particular, that the work of making disciples is not just the work of a pastor or a leadership team member or you know, some select group of people, but every person who confesses to be a follower of Jesus. So if we are going at Midway going to be a congregation that nurtures disciples of Jesus, like our mission statement says, right? Meaning we both invite people to become disciples and we nurture their faith. We're going to have to be a congregation of disciples who are making disciples, right? So let's, let's go back to our definition that we're working with today of what a disciple is. A disciple is one who responds in faith and obedience to the gracious call to follow Jesus Christ. So let's start with these words, a gracious call. To become a disciple, to become a follower of a Jesus always begins with a call, a gracious call. This word disciple literally means learner or student. I think the the word that best captures this in our language is apprentice. So in Jesus' day, discipleship was a relationship between a rabbi, a teacher, a master, and a student. And Jesus didn't invent this system of training. Other rabbis had followers. This was part of the first century world and its educational system. And the way it worked is that when someone became a disciple, from that point forward, their life was dramatically changed. Their whole life was now organized around this relationship with this rabbi. And there was three goals, to be with this rabbi, to become like this rabbi, and to do what this rabbi did. So again, Jesus, so Jesus having disciples wasn't unusual. But what, you know, what numerous people will point out, what's unusual about Jesus is that he actually called his disciples, which was unheard of at the time for a rabbi to do. Rabbis did not call their followers, rather the student adopted the teacher. And it wasn't just any student, it was the best and the brightest. Okay? But that's not the way discipleship worked for Jesus. Jesus' invitation to follow him is a, as we said, a gracious call because it's wide open. Right? It's open to everyone. And because it is a call, we never earn. So in other words, this is important. We don't, for example, work on ourselves, try to get to the point where we're good enough to follow Jesus, good enough to be his disciple, moral enough to follow Jesus, and say, all right, Jesus, I want to be your follower. I'm ready to, to join this apprenticeship program. I don't know if you all have seen these videos of, uh, you see them this time of year, high school students opening up their college acceptance letters. And typically, it's a, it's a video of a high school senior. They're opening up an email from a college and it captures the moment they find out they've been accepted to a college, and you know everyone in the room goes nuts. There's jumping around and celebrating, you know, and the, which is interestingly, 
now led to these college rejection parties where students collect all these rejection letters from colleges and bring those to a party uh, where they can then publicly uh, shred or destroy them. So in the one like requirement to get into this party is you have a rejection letter. So getting an invitation to follow Jesus is like getting an acceptance letter from Harvard when you never even bothered to apply to Harvard. So for example, you know, when I was in high school, it, if I would have gotten an acceptance letter from Harvard, my reaction would have been, uh, you made a mistake here. I never applied to your school. I may not be smart enough to get into your school, but I'm smart enough to know not to bother trying to get into your school, right? This is elite schools, elite training programs are typically for the elite in the country, but not Jesus training program. Think about how Jesus opens up the Sermon on the Mount, this, this handbook on discipleship we just got finished looking at. Jesus opens with what, what we call the Beatitudes, which is a series of surprise congratulations. Congratulations, you poor in spirit, you are in. Congratulations, you mourners, you are in. Congratulations, you meek, you are in. Jesus opens his sermon by sending out all these congratulation letters to, the, to people who never even applied uh, to get into Jesus' discipleship program because they wouldn't have even thought they had a chance to get into his discipleship program. Because of the, they're the people who the world often pities, who the world considers losers. And Jesus says to them, congratulations, the world sees you one way, but not me. The, invit- the invitation to follow Jesus, to become his disciple, is always a gracious invitation. It's never earned, and it's open to all. If we really know who it is that's asking us to follow him, our response should be, I mean, are you kidding me, Jesus? You, you want me in your program? Do you know who I am? Have you seen my transcripts? The invitation to follow Jesus is always a gracious call and never one we are. And in fact, like interestingly, the one thing that can keep us from enrolling in Jesus' discipleship program is to think that we deserve there, deserve to be there. Okay, so that's the first thing. Becoming a disciple begins with a gracious call from Jesus. Let's look at the second part of this uh, definition. Being a disciple is a lifelong process of dying to self while allowing Jesus Christ to come alive in us. Notice this this word, lifelong process. Being a disciple of Jesus is a lifelong process. When you enroll in the school of Jesus Christ, his apprenticeship program, you you never graduate. So if if you're 95 and you became a disciple of Jesus when you were 15, you are in your 80th senior year. I'm sorry, you're an 80th year senior. Your apprenticeship to Jesus is a lifelong apprenticeship that only ends with your last breath. And one of the reasons I like this word apprentice to describe uh, what a disciple is is because it stresses that we have a master that we're learning from. But it also helps us understand that being a disciple is more than information, right? It's a process of growing in competency. Like think about what an apprenticeship involves, knowledge and doing. We have less people who are probably doing apprenticeship programs today than in the past as we've shifted to more knowledge work. Um, and I think that can kind of confuse us into thinking that uh, being a Christian is just about knowledge, right? So being a Christian is about taking an in information and spitting it back out. If that's what uh, being a disciple is, then, you know, 
For example, the AI program ChatGPT can make a pretty great disciple of Jesus, like much better than us, because it can take in massive amounts of information and knowledge and spit it back out. But knowledge is only, it's an important part, but it's only part of an apprenticeship. But being a disciple is about doing, right? We got to get this when we think about, we, I think we get this when we think about an apprenticeship. So for example, if you, if you do a three-year apprenticeship as an electrician, and at the end of those three years, you, you can tell all kinds of information on how electricity works, but you can't wire a house, was that a successful apprenticeship? No, it was, it was a failure, right? You might have all the right information about how to wire a house, but if you can't actually wire a house, the apprenticeship was a failure, right? You've learned, you've failed to learn basic competencies. And if I can't wire a house, how am I going to teach someone else to wire a house? Because remember, Jesus' instruction is to make disciples. We can't reproduce what we haven't become ourselves. And becoming a disciple of Jesus is not just about getting things straight in our head about who Jesus is. It's about becoming like our teacher, taking on the character of our teacher, and doing what our teacher instructs us to do. Remember Jesus' last words in the Sermon on the Mount. What is it that separates the wise man from the foolish man? Does the wise man have the right information and the foolish man have the wrong information? No. The wise man hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice. The foolish man hears Jesus' words and does not put them into practice, right? Meaning being a disciple of Jesus is about doing. I was listening to a podcast this last week and heard a pastor. He's originally from South Africa, and he was recounting this a very intense three-week period he had with other young Christians in 1985 where they, they were fasting and praying. And, and the focus of this time of fasting and prayer was to shift the political climate in South Africa, which was still under apartheid at the time. To, to, to ask God to shift this injustice that was happening in his nation. And he said uh, 10 years later when he watched Nelson Mandela walk out of prison, he wept as he remembered that time of prayer and fasting for this moment. And then someone on the podcast asked him, you know, how did this experience of prayer and fasting change him? And he said this, Christianity is an adventure word. It's a doing word. I think we are losing a generation or generations by boredom and disinterest because we are expecting Christianity to be a listening word. But Christianity at its root requires engagement and action. I think he's right. I think there's probably multiple reasons for sure that why we have, we're losing so many young people who are not interested in Christianity. But I think one of those reasons is that we've presented Christianity as a listening word rather than a doing word, as something passive rather than an adventure. Following, as in following Jesus, is a doing word. Making, as in making disciples, is a doing word where both of them require not just learning, but engagement and action following. All right, so let's go back to our, our Ogden's definition of a disciple one more time. Being a disciple is a lifelong process of dying to self while allowing Jesus Christ to come alive in us. So in Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus lays out... Uh, very clearly what it means to follow him. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple 
must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So notice a couple things here. First, whoever wants, right? And last week I said, the invitation to follow Jesus is exactly that. It's an invitation, right? You can, you can take that invitation that comes to you and you can shred it up if you want. Jesus doesn't force anyone to be his follower. It's, it's completely voluntary. Right? So whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So deny themselves. What does it mean to deny oneself? I think sometimes we, uh, we think uh, it means to deny ourselves things or doing things. What, like, what ends up happening is that we frame Christianity more as what you don't do than what you do. Now, as, as a follower of Jesus, are there things we don't do? Absolutely. All right. But to give a vision of something that's what you're not supposed to do is not a compelling vision, right? Come follow this guy, Jesus, along with me so you can learn all what we shouldn't do, right? Not a compelling vision. When Jesus says that his disciples will have to deny themselves, he, he's striking at something much deeper. He's telling us that we're going to have to deny our, our self-lordship. Right? We talked about last week how a disciple of Jesus is one who professes that Jesus has all authority over heaven and earth, right? Meaning, if Jesus is Lord, I am not. To deny myself means to deny my own lordship. It means I cede authority of my life to Jesus. I say no to myself. I deny myself so that, and this is key, listen, so that we can say yes to him, so that Jesus can come alive in me. When you, when you Think about this. When you sign up to follow Jesus, to be his disciple, to join this apprenticeship program, you don't get to write the syllabus, right? You don't get to go up to Jesus and say, I want to learn from you, but I'm going to kind of dictate the terms, right? What you're saying is, I want to learn from you, and I think that you're smarter than I am, Jesus. I think you know how life works better than I do, Jesus. And I trust that you know the path to life. Because that's where Jesus is trying to take us. Following Jesus means death to myself, yes, because Jesus says that is the path that leads to life. Okay? If we are going to make disciples, we have to be disciples. We can't pass on what we don't know. We can't lead people to places we haven't been. Uh, if we, as Tom Nelson says, seek to obey the Great Commission to make disciples without first becoming an apprentice of Jesus ourselves, then our disciple-making efforts, no matter how sincere or noble, will prove anemic and impoverished. Before we make, we have to be. Okay, so how do we grow as disciples? Let me just offer a couple things before we close. One, we have to be part of a community of other disciples for many reasons, but here's one. As followers of Jesus, we are both shepherds and sheep. Meaning there should be people, or there will be people who, who are watching you from behind, like you're leading others, you are a shepherd, and you are watching other people ahead of you. And that way you are a sheep. You're both a sheep and a shepherd. So remember, discipleship is not just about a transfer of information. If, if it were, we could, you know, we could hand out a book, we could hand out a track, give a lecture and be done. It's an embodied way of living. And it's essential that you have people around you that you can watch ahead of you. So one of the things that Jesus' disciples got that we don't have is they got the opportunity to watch the physical Jesus interact with people. I mean, think about disciples of Jesus you have learned from or admire. They probably taught you things. 
But just as important, they gave you a model. Like, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of coming into a situation and thought, I wonder you know, what this person, I wonder what they would do. I wonder uh, how they would handle this situation at my work, for example, how they would handle this person in front of me. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. We need to follow people who are following Christ, and the way we do that is through community. Uh, you know, let me give you an example. There's not a lot of explicit teaching in the New Testament about how to run a small business as a disciple of Jesus. Right, but there's a lot that goes into running a business as a disciple of Jesus, as you, how you treat your employees, etc. You're going to need people, examples, who are giving you an example of what it means to follow Christ in situations like you're in. Like we need other disciples, and other disciples uh, need us. Secondly, we're going to need disciplines as followers of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus have disciplines. In fact, the root word of discipline is disciple. Again, being a disciple of Jesus is a lifelong process of dying to ourselves so that Jesus can come alive in us. Like Jesus wants to transform us. And he does that through his spirit, which he gives to us when he, we choose to follow him. And, and one of the most important ways that Jesus transforms us is through what we call spiritual disciplines, keeping Sabbath, prayer, silence and solitude, confession, uh, Bible study, giving to the needy, fasting. So I just planted a garden the other day with my son Isaac. We planted tomatoes and peppers and cucumbers, and, and you know, many of you are gardeners. What happens next? You come back in late July and you harvest the crop, right? <laughs> no, you, you've got to you plant, and then you have to nurture those plants if they're going to produce fruit. You know, weeds are going to have to be taken out. Plants are going to have to be watered and fertilized. Stakes are going to be put out uh, or cages to tie up the tomatoes. You know, think about it. Am I the one that makes these plants grow? No. But what I'm doing is, as a gardener, is I'm creating the conditions in which they can flourish. And this is, I think this is a helpful analogy to spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are not ends in themselves. They don't cause the growth. That is Jesus, Jesus' spirit but they create the conditions for us to grow. They clear away the weeds. They put up the trellises in our life so that we can grow. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which is our handbook for being a disciple, Jesus just assumes that we're giving to the needy, praying, and fasting. Right? So you know, we should ask ourselves, are we giving to the needy? Are we praying? Are we fasting? If not, you know, one of the things we need to consider with that is who prayed, and fasted. Jesus. Right? Remember, Jesus begins his public ministry with a 40-day fast and is constantly going off and praying. If you read through the Gospels, what you'll, what you'll often notice if you're paying attention is that oftentimes right before something really important happens, like, for example, choosing his disciples, Jesus has gone off to pray. And, you know, here's the question then that begs for us. If Jesus, the Son of God, felt it necessary to pray and fast in order to live out his mission, do we think we need it? As disciples of Jesus, we follow Jesus, meaning we do what Jesus did. I, I really can't express in my own faith journey how important these spiritual disciplines have been for me. You know, I spent a lot of years not praying, and I look back and I think, yeah, there was a reason why I had stagnated in my discipleship journey. 
There's a reason why Jesus teaches us to pray and commands us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. One of those reasons is that this is the time we get to hang out with our teacher, with our rabbi. Remember, again, we don't have the physical Jesus in front of us like the disciples did. Um, You know, you think about it, when, uh, when the disciples were Jesus, sometimes I think we get in our minds that they're just, it's a lot of action. They're going from one thing to the next, one, you know, teaching to healing to to something happening, but like, there's, there would have been lots of times when they were just hanging out. They were just being with Jesus. If, if, you, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we're going to have to do a lot of hanging out with Jesus. We, we can't be with a physical Jesus, but we can be in his presence uh, through prayer. And one of the many things that happens is that we fall deeper in love with our teacher Jesus. Like, remember, if, if remember where we're going here. We are going we're moving towards going out on mission to make disciples. Uh, and you know what we're the best at talking about? Like what we love. What we love to do and who we love. It's why you can be with someone and you know, maybe they're not saying a word, but get them on a topic they love, their family, their grandkids, their, their favorite sports team, hunting, fishing, mountain climbing, and they just come alive. It's there. It's bubbling up under the surface and then just waiting to come out and you can't fake that. If Jesus Christ hasn't captured my heart, I'm just not going to be able to talk about Jesus in the same way. I may be able to pass on a little bit of information to you about Jesus, but I'm not going to be able to talk to you about someone that I know. Being a disciple is ultimately not about information. It's about relationship with living Jesus one that must be nurtured so that we go out on mission, which is where we'll turn next. We are going out with our hearts captured by the one who first loved us.